The Whole Health Cure with Dr. Sharon Berquist, the podcast that brings you inspiration and skills for living a healthy and fulfilled life. Welcome to the Whole Health Cure podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Sharon Berquist. On this podcast, we explore the science and provide inspiration and skills for living your happiest, most fulfilling, and healthiest life. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Jeremy Beckworth, who's a physician that's worked at Emory since 2007. Dr. Beckworth is a physical medicine and rehab physician, but also is boarded in pain medicine and electrodiagnostic medicine. He's the co-director of the Emory Spine Center and the associate residency program director for rehab medicine. He's developed a keen interest in lifestyle medicine and specifically the impact of lifestyle medicine on pain. He has led local community health programs like Complete Health Improvement Program, or CHIP, monthly plant-based cooking classes, and the Nedley Depression and Anxiety Recovery Program, which is a lifestyle medicine program. Jeremy, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. I very much appreciate coming on here, Dr. Burquist. Yeah, and you know, this connection, there are really two connections here um, you know, for us to talk about. One is really the link between uh, the work that you do in spine health and um, the role that lifestyle and our general health plays in that. And the other part, which is such an important topic, it's pain management um, in, you know, in maybe not the traditional ways that we do, um, you know, through procedures and medication, but thinking more broadly. And, and sure. you're really the perfect person with your background to talk about both. Um, Speaking of your background, let me start by asking you, what does a physical medicine and rehab physician do? Very good question. Yeah, so uh, physical medicine or rehab or physiatry or rehab medicine, it's actually, it's a smaller specialty, but it's a, it's a great specialty. There's things people do both from an inpatient and an outpatient perspective, like in, in the hospital, taking care of people who've had strokes and spinal cord injuries, brain injuries. And then on the outpatient world where I'm at, uh, take, taking care of musculoskeletal injuries from a non-surgical perspective. I'm at the Emory Spine Center and uh, deal with most people do not need surgery uh, for spine issues. And so I, uh, I deal yeah, again with the outpatient world and at the spine center. And I also do things like uh, EMGs, which is or, or studies looking for nerve damage, neuropathic issues. So um, we kind of look at things from a uh, kind of a, more of a little bit more of a holistic perspective and trying to uh, uh, help people both from a function and quality of life perspective. So there are orthopedic doctors and physical medicine and rehab physicians that can manage spinal problems. For example, um, how would you characterize the difference between um, physical medicine and rehab and orthopedics? Yeah. So, yeah. So where I work there, there's, there are about, 14 or 15 rehab physicians, and maybe about um, 14, 13, 14 uh, spine surgeons. And so uh, the majority of folks will have some problematic spine issues at some point in their life. The majority though, don't need to go on to have surgery. It can be managed very conservatively. And so uh, we do that perspective of things, trying to, to help people out short of going to the surgical route. Some people will end up needing surgery, but that's the, the minority. And so we partner together and uh, we work together as a team. That, that's great. Um, and what are 
some of the ways that you approach orthopedic problems that are non-surgical? So some of the ways. So, um, well, uh, different, I mean, there's a lot of people look at things from a, they come in, they're looking for a quick fix. That's, you know, everybody wants a, a pill to fix this or a pill to fix that or an injection to do this or that. There's really, there's a lot of things from a lifestyle perspective. And so some of it's, a lot of it's on the education side of things, um, telling people kind of the natural history, how things occur. A lot of people will get better given some time, but also the big impact that, that lifestyle has that people don't really even contemplate to think, think about things, how, how much their lifestyle choices actually can have an impact on their pain. And so a lot of it's from an education perspective and just kind of making them aware of things and then kind of helping them along the road uh, to, to recovery. Yeah, that's, that's really great I, and, and so important. Like you said, there's so much more than one dimensional. So that's perfect. And um, let me also ask you, how did you get interested in the role of lifestyle and pain? Lifestyle and pain. So, um, you know, I actually, my parents were actually fairly health conscious when they, I was ra when they raised me. Um, I was raised, my parents were Seventh-day Adventists, as I'm, am I, and they have kind of an emphasis on healthful living. And so uh, um, kind of that got my start on kind of the impact of lifestyle medicine. And as an adult, and I was, I was later diagnosed with Crohn's disease, which sometimes when you, when you become, you have an illness, um, you have a little bit more incentive to start looking at things from a more holistic perspective, like what can I do? And so that kind of got my interest in lifestyle medicine and then being in the field that I, I'm in kind of naturally led to looking at, uh, at avenues to help from a lifestyle perspective. Yeah, it really, that makes complete sense how you've been um, kind of focused in this area. And, um, and let me also just ask you about that connection. Like you said that a lot of people are surprised about lifestyle. So when you look at um, like spine health and you know, discs in a spine and all the things that contribute to that process where the discs get eroded and a person develops arthritis. Um, so some of that, of course, is mechanical and, and people refer to that as wear and tear, even though it's more complicated than that. Mm -hmm. um, but what are factors that contribute to the health of a person's spine and what's that connection um, with lifestyle and thinking beyond just this is a spine problem? Sure. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, you're right. A lot of people just think it's more of a mechanical issue and, and mechanics does play a role in it. We're into over time. Genetics can play a role. Um, there's a lot of life, like I said, a lot of lifestyle things that also go into that as well. Um, the disc is the largest non-vascular structure, meaning there's no blood vessels that actually go into the disc. And so it's, it's very much an area when people have vascular issues, uh, like uh, elevated cholesterol, narrowing of arteries, uh, the, the disc is very much dependent on diffusion for nutrients to get into the disc. And so um, there is an importance which people don't even really contemplate about having healthy arteries and capillaries that stop right at the margin, which allows for diffusion of nutrients into the, into the disc, important for nutrition and clearing waste products and so forth out of, out of the disc. And so that's... Uh, that's kind of a lifestyle thing because vascular health can be very, very much related to, to lifestyle. I mean, there's things like uh, obesity, your weight plays a big role, um, exercise, body mechanics. Um, there's, there's other very interesting studies like from a lifestyle, just getting like studies showing um, getting some sunlight actually 
There, there's fascinating studies on uh, light exposure for depression and anxiety. There's actually some randomized control, tr some trials that, that show uh, light can have, uh, exposure can have some improvement on pain. So not a cure-all, but a lot of those things together can, can uh, play a role from a lifestyle perspective that we don't oftentimes think about. That's great. So making that connection is actually a really, you know, big deal, really, because like you're saying, if the discs need the nutrients to get there and they don't have a direct way other than diffusion, so the plumper and the healthier the blood flow in those blood vessels, the better the discs in the spine. And does that translate then into less arthritis, lower progression of arthritis, or what's the outcome from having healthier blood vessels? Yeah, so uh, good, good question. Um, so the, it's a degenerative process with the, with the spine. And, and early on, there's a degenerative cascade that occurs. So early on, you can see degenerative changes in the disc. And interesting, if you get an MRI on a teenager, 20% 20, 20 of teens can have some early uh, degenerative changes of the disc. And so those are kind of early changes. And even as early as age 11, we start seeing some definitive changes of uh, um, degenerative changes in the disc, which is earlier than you might expect uh, seeing those things. And um, so at, with time, a degenerative disc can turn into as, you, as that gets degenerative, uh, you get arthritis in the small joints in the low back, and with time, that, that can lead to narrowing of the spinal canal, stenosis, which, so it's kind of a, a cascade of events, but uh, keeping a healthy disc, and uh, um, I, there's no studies to look at this, but it makes sense that it would be a helpful thing to keep healthy blood flow, healthy disc that would limit or, the progression of some of those degenerative changes. Yeah, and, um, and on that note, you know, there's also this inflammatory component, right? So like I said before, you know, we think of arthritis as wear and tear, like the cars of your tire getting worn down, um, and less of an inflammatory process, like say a rheumatoid arthritis, but even osteoarthritis, the garden variety type we get when we get older, has an inflammatory component. And what's the connection there of what people can do to slow that inflammatory progression of um, like arthritis in a joint or something. Yeah, so yeah, and, and uh, there have been a number of studies that show inflammation, like somebody has a disc herniation, uh, you have to have inflammation for pain to occur. So there's, there's definitely an inflammatory component to that. And um, like I, I was mentioning with the the nutrition to the disc, if you don't have good blood flow there, there there's been studies showing like lactic acid builds up within the disc and, and things that are inflammatory mediators. So having good nutrition to the disc, uh, very good not only for the nutrition of the disc, but kind of clearing out some of those kind of waste products uh, within the disc. So definitely inflammation plays a role in pain uh, scenarios with, within the spine. Mm -hmm, which I do want to come back to again on that pain issue. But um, so if someone is experiencing back pain and, um, you know, they are given several alternatives, for example, pain medication, um, a procedure like an injection and lifestyle alternatives, how do you counsel a person um, to kind of leverage all the tools available? 
Yeah, okay. So uh, I guess you take each person individually, seeing where they're at, and um, we use typical things, uh, including all you know all measures we have available. But sometimes it's uh, from a lifestyle perspective, just introducing the idea. Sometimes they're not even aware uh, of what the impact is. Um, people who have who are overweight or obese. I mean, clearly studies show clearly that outcomes are not as favorable, both surgical and non-surgical treatments are just not as favorable. And people who carry extra weight, they, uh, they tend to seek more healthcare for, for back issues. And uh, fat by itself, we talk about inflammation, it is pro-inflammatory. And there's studies showing um, with weight that um, as you lose weight, pain can actually improve. There are very fascinating studies with weight loss surgery. I'm not a big fan of weight loss surgery, but where people lose a lot of weight, their pain, the studies show their pain improves quite dramatically. And even on imaging studies, the disc can be a little bit larger, like there's a little less stress on the disc. So uh, you wouldn't think it could affect the architecture of the disc, but actually some of these simple lifestyle things, so you try to pull a lot of things in together. Um, I always, I have a little handout to give patients, just highlighting some of the impact of lifestyle that it, uh, that it has on spine health. Yeah. And yeah, and that's, again, it's such a big connection um, because I know um, most physicians don't make that connection. Being in healthcare, I can say, you know, a lot of uh, my colleagues don't. You view things as very compartmentalized, if you will. Yeah. We send to you if there's a spine problem. We send to a cardiologist if there's a heart problem and, and making that connection that, um no, the left hand's connected to the right hand is, is yeah. really such an important connection that you're making. Um, and in terms of um, the health of the blood flow, so we're talking a lot about, you know, diet, but I presume um, exercise will also plump up the arteries, get better nutrition to the spine and help spine health. Um, are there other things besides diet and exercise that fall into that lifestyle bucket? Yes. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, so yeah, de definitely diet uh, plays a big role in vascular disease. There's a clear link there. Um, exercise, as you mentioned, um, both from kind of stabilizing exercises, even resistant exercises, resistance exercises have been shown to help with, with spine issues. Um, there are, like simple thing, a very simple thing is like drinking enough water. There, there are studies saying we're more sensitive to pain when we, we don't drink enough water. And most people don't drink enough uh, water. Um, uh, the thing I mentioned about like just getting exposure to light, uh, not a cure-all, but th those are things that just getting out, you know, going for walks, getting some fresh air, things that can be uh, uh, very helpful. Ergonomics uh, can play a role. Um, so that, that's, you know, the head weighs about 10 to 12 pounds. So there's about 10 to 12 pounds of stress at the base of the neck. And if you forward flex your neck about 60 degrees, which is not hard to do, we're all on our phone, reading, computers, and we were, that's kind of the position we are all in. It goes to about 60 pounds of stress at the base of the neck. So over time, that, that can play, a, you know, ergonomics can play a role as well. So uh, there, there's a lot of things from a, from a lifestyle perspective that uh, can be play a positive or negative role. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great. And, and you mentioned, um, you know, pain sensitivity with um, whether you're hydrated or not. I want to talk about pain because, gosh, you know, that is such a big, important topic to so many people and especially 
in an era where narcotic addiction is unfortunately very prevalent, um, trying to manage ways in uh, manage pain in non-pharmaceutical ways is just so important, and it can be done. I know, um, you know, for a lot of my patients. Um, there's so much efficacy to a lot of the lifestyle um, components that you're you're starting to talk about. Let me um, start by asking you about pain. Like, how do we perceive pain? Yeah, well, that's a that's a good question. Very complex uh, question. Um, so, yeah, pain is is very uh, complex. I mean, we we sense pain. If you look at, there's a nice definition of pain from the International Society that looks at pain for the study of pain, International Association for the Study of Pain. And they say it's an unpleasant sensory or emotional experience from an actual or potential tissue da damage. And so we don't, sometimes it's, it's really hard to, we can kind of trace the pathways, the neural pathways up the spine to, into the brain, the certain pathways in the, within the spine where the things travel. But uh, I, I would say, we don't have a full grasp on how we, I mean, it's, uh, it's a complex topic and uh, it's uh, still being studied. And, and some of the, the things we even do, we, we don't fully understand all the mechanisms of action of how, how things are, are working. So I would say it's a complex uh, question, complex answer. And, and yeah, no, understood. And it's interesting that the, the definition includes emotional perception. Mm -hmm. That in itself um, kind of speaks to the complexity because there's an objective and a subjective part and a lot of variation from individual to individual in how pain is perceived as a function of that. that yeah, that is correct. Yeah, there is uh, definitely. And um, like I said, pain is a very complex thing. There are, there are even, yeah, there's, it's very much sub, one person's pain is a little different than somebody else's. And we try to be objective about things, taking pain scores. There's a lot of different measures you can use to, to look at outcomes with pain, but uh, very much it's a subjective uh, person's experience. And, um, and the, the body, like I said, is a very complex thing. There's these pain syndromes where it looks like the body becomes, the pain becomes very centralized and you can actually take off uh, look at cerebral spinal fluid in people with these chronic pain issues. There's certain mediators that are elevated in these. We, we draw CSF. So is, there's something, the body's complex, and I don't think we fully understand uh, everything uh, for, for sure. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you, of course, are in a unique position to speak about um, physiatry and pain because you are board certified in both. And the lifestyle component of pain. So if somebody either is trying to avoid being on narcotics and, um, or is already on them and would like to get off of them, um, but finds that pain limits their quality of life or even their ability to carry out the activities that um, are necessary as part of life. Um, how do you start to work with someone like that? What are, um, modalities and, and how do they sure. leverage lifestyle? Yeah. So yeah, I always usually start with the lifestyle approach and then there's other, there are some medications and procedures sometimes, but I always start with the lifestyle approach and uh, yeah, everybody's looking for a, you know, there's a, is there a pill for that? Or is, you know, there's always the one that kind of a quick answer, but sometimes there's not always a quick, sometimes it takes some time. 
know, the natural history with a lot of folks is favorable, but there are some, a subset of people that will have some chronic issues. Um, there's a lot of alternative things you, you could try um, from a medication perspective, like even over the counter, there's things like if you go on PubMed, which is the, uh, the database looking at all health, health studies, you type in curcumin or turmeric in the title. Over 10,000 articles have now come out on that. And uh, there's some studies like head-to-head -head that versus prescription NSAIDs with similar outcomes for knee arthritis. So there's some things, I mean, there's some things you have to be aware of with that, like it can potentiate bleeding and some people that are very prone to kidney stones may not be the best option, but there's a, there's a lot of alternative things that you could try um, that can be helpful. And, um, but I usually start with kind of things from a lifestyle perspective, a regular exercise program, weight management, I refer them if they if they're having issues with that getting in with our bariatric clinic. There's some good um, non-surgical options for trying to uh, trying to lose weight. Um, I've uh, as I mentioned, I uh, pre-COVID, I, I helped facilitate a cooking class and just kind of getting recipes, trying new things, seeing seeing about uh, different ways to eat, trying to eat more healthy. Um, so there's. A lot of things from a lifestyle perspective uh, that can make a big impact, and then there there are you know traditional things with medications, um, and sometimes procedures. So I kind of start, you know, where they have the most control, and then kind of work up from there. Mm -hmm. And um, in in terms of um, you know, you started to also mention light exposure in people who have anxiety and depression. Um, Besides the diet and exercise piece, there's this emotional well-being piece that plays into pain. Can you speak about that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, people who have who have chronic pain, I mean, definitely it, it affects your psyche. And um, there, there are studies, there's a link. If you have chronic pain, you're more likely to have depression or anxiety. And uh, so they are very much tied together. Um, so a lot of things that work for depression can be also helpful for, for pain uh, conditions. So um, I was actually very fascinated. I, I helped out um, with a few of these depression, anxiety recovery programs, which it was really all based on lifestyle measures. And man, I, I was having gone through medical school, I didn't really hear a lot of these, but there's a lot of fascinating studies on um, exercise, light exposure, um, like omega-3 fatty acids, kind of more the plant-based um, sleep like a regular circadian rhythm. Um, there's all these fascinating uh, cognitive behavioral therapy that's been shown to be as effective as the antidepressants without the side effects. And, and similar with pain, a cognitive behavioral therapy can be very helpful with some psychologists that what they do or counselors. So uh, there's definitely a link and you treat a lot of the things very similar, a lot of the, both the depression, anxiety, and pain very similar. Yeah. And, um, and one thing that's always a challenge is chicken and egg when it comes to pain management, whether it's with depression or with exercise, right? So there's clearly a benefit to people, you know, for example, losing weight or getting into a good stretch and exercise routine. Um, but there's this kind of push and pull and that sometimes when there's so much pain, um, A, they're not motivated to exercise because it hurts and, and B, they're not sure what's even safe to do like is if their pain is worse when they exercise are they hurting themselves 
Um, how do you coach people through this? How do I get started on this? Yeah, yeah. So good, good question. Um, well, uh, there are studies, like in an acute situation, there, there have been studies, is it better to do strict bed rest or is it better to get up and do things? Like if you have a new herniated disc, what, what is the best thing to do? And actually you get better more quickly if you can get up and do things. Um, sometimes you, you're limited by what you can do, like you mentioned, but as you can tolerate uh, and getting up and doing things is actually to your benefit. And most of the time, I mean, almost all the time, uh, I, we, I always encourage folks to stay active with exercise as they can tolerate. And it's unlikely that they'll cause themselves damage by doing that. It may be that they flare things up occasionally, but I don't think rarely would they be in a situation where they would cause themselves more damage. So they can be reassured that it, I mean, if, as th finding things you can do that you can tolerate and, and it's okay, a little pain here and there is okay. Uh, it's unlikely that you're going to cause yourself damage by doing those things. You can still listen to your body and you don't have to kill yourself in doing those things and finding things that are, are more tolerable. Some people like people who have stenosis, narrowing of the spinal canal, putting pressure on the nerve roots. They oftentimes have a hard time going for walks or just standing for a long period. So then maybe like a stationary bicycle or uh, some people like gardening. There are different things you can do, swimming, whatever it is that they can find they, they can do. Uh, I always try to encourage them to stay as active as they can. And that's great. So really find something that works for you and a little bit of pain, you're not hurting yourself. So it's okay if that little bit of exercise makes you a little bit worse that day. Obviously not for days on end. You probably push too much at that point. Um, I've, I've heard about a two-hour pain rule where if after exercise your pain is better in less than two hours, that... Um, that's an acceptable amount of pain and, and that's um, you're still benefiting from it and beyond that that may you may have overexerted or pushed yourself. I don't know what you think of that, but is there a certain benchmark of sorts of when it's okay to push and it's okay to get pain? Yeah, um, that seems reasonable. I don't have any like uh, rule I just follow, uh, but that that sounds I mean, sounds reasonable. You don't want to. You can listen to your body, and if you, you people, most people will know if they're pushing it way too hard. Um, so I think yeah, you can listen to your body. A little bit of discomfort's not the end of the world. But like you said, if it, if you can get back to where you, I mean, if it's you, you stop, it's getting better. It's, that's a fairly reasonable approach. Yeah, and um, and the same kind of chicken and egg. You know, I see my practice with, um, you know, mental well-being and getting on a good path with pain management because, as you mentioned, there's a biological link between chronic pain and depression and anxiety. So if you get one, you get the other by pure biology. Um, and then breaking out of that is really challenging, right? Because if you feel anxious or depressed, the motivation to work on pain management is, is really hard because you think every morning I'm gonna wake up, I'm gonna face the same pain. Tomorrow is not better, tomorrow is not better. And after time that gets really discouraging um, and yet you know the pain escalates so then you get more depressed and you get in this vicious cycle over time um, what are ways that people can break out of that vicious cycle so i would say you know, most folks uh, with spine issues it will get better given some time uh, acute issues there's there's uh, like i mentioned 
upwards, it's been reported over 80% of people will have problematic back issues at some point in their life. And so early on, you know, kind of a, some encouragement, a tincture of time will kind of get them there for most folks. But there is a subset of people like you're talking about that have, uh, it's reported maybe one in 10 people are currently like disabled uh, with back issues right now. So that's a, that's a fairly large number. Um, if it gets where they're, and if, if they're in the situation where it's just not getting better, then maybe exploring other options. I mean, of course, hitting everything we, we mentioned from a lifestyle perspective, um, and then seeing what other means we have to kind of break that uh, from, a, from a holistic perspective, lifestyle, cognitive behavioral perspective, everything. But then also there's, a, there's other medical interventions that, that can be helpful in some of those folks. So the really tackling both ends at once um, to try and get a handle of it, doing something um, that may help reduce the pain, maybe, you know, make it more hopeful that tomorrow will be better. Uh, yeah. And then doing some um, measure, whether it's therapy, medication, um, you know, to try and help the mood. And over time, you think that that can hopefully lead to more positive spiral, people spiral upward instead of downward in this vicious cycle. Yeah, yeah, correct. So yeah, using all measures, yeah, we didn't talk much about physical therapy, but definitely physical therapy, which is part of the whole exercise thing. Yeah, but hitting it from all, hitting it from all angles and try to uh, help from every perspective. And like, there, like I said, there's a, there is a subset of people that will still have ongoing issues. And if they're just miserable, there's usually something else that can be done uh, to try to help them. And, uh, and short of opioids, like most people, opioids are clearly helpful in the short run. In the long run, there's a lot of issues with them. So um, there's from non-surgical things, but also sometimes surgery. I, um, there's, I, I was just a part of, a, helped with a resident on a project looking at the natural history of pinched nerve roots in the neck. And 90% of people will get better on their own, but there's a subset about, uh, it was about, close to 10% ended up going on to have surgery. And so there is a subset that may have to have surgery. And the more, majority of those tend to do good. I mean, there's a subset that may still have some issues, but there are things we can try if you hit it with everything you have and they're still having issues, there, there's still other options. Yeah, and, and, and some of the numbers you've given us are just so staggering, like the debility from chronic pain, like 10%, like you said, it's a huge number. Um, with the little time we have left, I want to ask you if there's anything you want to share with our audience that we haven't had a chance to touch on. I feel you're a wealth of knowledge and there's so many um, directions in terms of advice that you can give, but is there anything you want to share with our audience? Yeah, well, uh, it, there are interesting studies out showing that the trend with, so I work at the Spine Center, so talking about spine issues, uh, Spinal pain is becoming a more common issue. And like, why is this? Why is this becoming like, I, uh, even in kids, there are studies in kids that where pain is, uh, spinal pain is becoming a more common issue. I see young kids, 14 years old, these huge disc herniations, like, wow, how did, it, how did, they, how did this all happen? And uh, if you look at the trends, uh, I, I think my suspicion is that it's very much related to lifestyle medicine. Um, you know, obesity trends over the past 30, 40 years, it's just, it has skyrocketed. You see those CDC trends. So I think weight has probably played a role in that. Uh, vascular issues, like we talked about, is an endemic issue. Every, uh, by age 10, the uh, majority of people will have some amount of fatty streaks with, within their arteries. And so 
Um, if you look at some of the studies, um, like Dean Ornish and uh, also the Cleveland Clinic, where lifestyle has a huge impact on, on vascular health. And so uh, just to encourage people, man, you have a lot that you can control. And, and some of it's very much on the preventative side of things, but um, the trends are, are going in the wrong direction, but I think it's very much related to uh, things that we do have control over. Oh, that, that's really great advice. And it seems like the corollary is, you know, we think of our lifestyle mostly for preventing chronic diseases like heart disease and diabetes. And to think of how much it affects quality of life, our pain, um, you know, arthritis, your spine health, and making that connection with, you know, our ability to do the things we want to be able to do as we get older is such an important connection. So I want to thank you for making that connection. Uh, I know you're the perfect person to speak about this just by your training. So I really appreciate all of the insight and great information you've given us. Well, thank you. Yeah. Also, one last thing I just wanted to mention that the link, there was a fascinating study that looked at people, there were men, uh, I think age 30 to in the 40s, who had low back pain and they followed them out 13 years and they had four and a half times the risk of having had died from heart disease during that time. And so maybe if you have back pain, it's kind of a wake, wake up call. Hey, I better start living a little bit more, more healthfully. And so that there's just that link that we oftentimes overlook. So I just wanted to bring that up. Oh, that's a great link. Um, yeah, it's amazing how precursors to heart disease manifest in all, all different parts of our bodies um, before we actually get heart disease. So that's great to maybe be more in tune with our bodies and listen to them a little more. <laughs> Jeremy, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Sharon. The Whole Health Cure is brought to you by Emory Lifestyle Medicine and Wellness. For more information about wellness assessments, classes, and other resources, please visit our website, emoryhealthcare.org slash livewell. This material is copyrighted by Emory University.